This is a Piccolo podcast production. In this episode, we are taking you to an amusement park in the Vernon Township of New Jersey, which is about an hour drive from New York City to the now defunct Action Park. I'm your narrator, Alex Malone. Welcome to Fairground Fuck Ups. Some people say that you get the government you deserve. If you apply the same rule to fun parks, you could say that 1980s New Jersey got the fun park it deserved. A fun park born in the Ronald Reagan era, where red tape was cut and personal freedom was encouraged. Ever seen the MTV show called Jersey Shore? Well, those kids are the offspring of the men and women of the Action Park era. Action Park has many aliases. Traction Park and Class Action Park being two of the more apt ones. Local businessman Gene Mulverhill founded the park after he noticed that his ski slopes weren't making any money in the summer. Fortunately, the steep hillsides were perfect for water slides. Unfortunately, Gene did not bring a caring ethos along with him. From his perspective, people had to take responsibility for their own choices or actions. Mulverhill's career began in the 1970s at the height of the penny stocks, also known as pump and dump scams within the New York Stock Exchange, when salesmen would sell worthless stocks to unknowing customers for exorbitant amounts of money. Think the Wolf of Wall Street. Mulverhill, a prominent and charismatic face on Wall Street, used this idea to his advantage while running Mayflower Securities with his friend Robert Brennan. In 1973, the company eventually was suspended by the Securities and Exchange Commissions, the SEC, on the grounds of selling its customers worthless securities in a bankrupt electronics company, according to a 1974 write-up in the New York Times. Action Park, the infamous New Jersey amusement park where guests were encouraged to use life-threatening rides with sometimes deadly results, was so popular in the 1980s that even Donald Trump apparently once came to see what all the fuss was about. Trump was chatting up these teenage employees, trying to ask them about their jobs. Class Action Park co-director Seth Porges told Vanity Fair in a recent interview. And what they told me was that Trump, after actually seeing Action Park in person, didn't really want to be involved with the business venture. He viewed it as potentially too nuts. Too nutty for him. They're very similar personalities. I don't think anybody would argue with that, Porges said of Mulverhill, who died in 2012, and Trump. Like Trump, Porges said Mulverhill rose to power during the 1980s as a brash real estate developer who had a casual disregard for the word no. It's hard to look at a character like Gene and not think of somebody like Trump, Porges added. And I think that's what makes it interesting. These guys were friends back in this era. One of them decided that he wanted to be Walt Disney. The other decided he wanted to be like Ronald Reagan. It's like, what would have happened if Donald Trump had opened a theme park? I think that's really what Action Park is. Mulverhill was cavalier in his approach to looking after the Action Park customers. And he thought that just like a skier could lose focus and accidentally shoot off a cliff, So a 13-year-old from the Bronx could try and do a handstand on an unstable plastic sled and end up catapulting right through a hot dog stand. It wasn't his problem. 
He also had a deep enthusiasm for thrill-seeking water rides, which translated into buying a series of untested rides from sketchy European salesmen at theme park conventions. As a result, Action Park was the rare theme park where you had almost total control over your actions. No rules, no lines, and no guarantee you'd leave with your knees intact. The rides that did pass the inspections quickly attracted hordes of customers, mostly kids from urban New York and New Jersey, who possessed limited swimming skills, but a teenager's sense of invincibility and a robust attitude to authority. Most people probably wouldn't respond to being pulled from the bottom of a pool and resuscitated by telling the lifeguard to eat a dick and jumping straight back in. But that kind of thing happened all the time at Action Park. New Jersey etiquette also required customers to respond to safety instructions by nodding a bunch and then yelling, ha ha, screw you, asshole, and jumping down the slide head first. Things were not helped along by the numerous beer stands scattered throughout the park, which, according to numerous accounts, employed an extremely relaxed attitude towards checking ID. In the Waterworld area was the Tidal Wave Pool. The wave pool had no capacity restrictions, meaning that people would pack in like sardines, but with inferior swimming skills. Like sardines, the guests were also covered in oil, mainly suntan rather than soybean, which left a thick sheen on the surface of the water, making it almost impossible for lifeguards to see the bottom of the pool. There was also no designated entrance, So guests tended to look out for a group of their friends and then tried to jump in on top of their heads. The waves were huge and Jean Mulverhill refused to turn them down, declaring I'd make them even stronger if I could. On busy days, the tightly packed mass of people tended to close over anyone who went underwater, making it difficult to resurface. You couldn't have designed a better death trap. Wristbands were given to entrance of Action Park, and on some of them you would read the letters CFS. This was code for the lifesavers to keep a lookout. CFS stood for Can't Fucking Swim. This is an account of a typical day patrolling the death zone of the wave pool. Smoke pulled a man out as another began panic paddling right next to him. Dragged beneath the surface by the hysterical guest, Smoke began punching him in the head to make him loosen his grip. The mood had become manic. From that point on, none of us was ever out of the pool long enough to dry off. The wave pool was 100 feet, or 30 metres, wide, by 250 feet, or 76 metres long, and could hold around 500 to 1,000 people. Waves were generated for 20 minutes at a time, with 10-minute intervals between them, and could reach as much as 40 inches or 1 metre in height. It was not always obvious that pool depth increased as one got closer to the far end, and there were patrons who only remembered or realised that they could not swim when they were in over their heads and the waves were going full blast. Even those who could swim sometimes exhausted themselves causing patrons to crowd the side ladders as the waves began, leading to many accidents. Twelve lifeguards were on duty at all times and on high-traffic weekends, they were known to rescue as many as 30 people compared to the one or two the average lifeguard might make in a typical season at a pool or a lake. The first patron death occurred here in 1982 
Another visitor drowned in this common water park attraction five years later. It was, however, the number of people the lifeguards saved from a similar fate that made this the only Waterworld attraction to gain its own nickname, the Grave Pool. The pool is still operational today, although it is reportedly much shallower. Only days after the drowning of 15-year-old George Lopez in the Wave Pool, 27-year-old Jeffrey Nathan was killed while on the Kayak Experience an attraction that saw 20 kayaks travel along a 1,000 feet of rapids. These rapids, as it turns out, were generated by underwater fans. Nathan reportedly flipped out of the kayak, a common occurrence for riders of this attraction. And while he was in the water trying to get back onto his kayak, one of these underwater fans short-circuited, electrocuting him. He went into cardiac arrest and died shortly after. This incident led to the permanent closure of the kayak experience. Though the park would not take responsibility for the death and claimed they only closed it because people would be too intimidated by it. Next right up, Aquascoot. Invented by Ken Bailey in the early 1980s, riders would carry a hard, solid plastic sled up to the top of the ride, go down on a slide consisting of rollers akin to those found in factories, warehouses or assembly lines, and end up in a pool that in most areas was no deeper than a puddle. The idea of the ride was to, once the sled hit the water, skip across the water like a stone. In order to do this, the rider had to be in a certain position, lean back. If the rider was not in the correct position, the sled would sink into the water as soon as it hit the pool, flinging the rider off the sled head first which often resulted in head injuries. Other times, riders would be leaving the pool only to have others crash into them as they were riding. This ride consisted of parallel slides originally. At some point in the mid-1980s, a third slide was added. Each slide was 30 feet, or 9.1 metres long. The slides were sensibly removed when IntraWest took over the resort in 1998. The interviewees in the Class Action Park documentary described the Tarzan Swing as one of the most popular rides in the park. Guests would grab a 20-foot cable and then swing over a spring-fed pool of water, which at one point wasn't water at all, but rather a cushioned area, and theoretically jump in when the rope reached its height. Some people held on too long and scraped their feet on the concrete. Others got into the pool but were shocked by just how cold the spring-fed body of water was. In 1984, according to the weird NJ story, a man was so stunned by the coldness of the water that he had a heart attack and died. Others would sometimes need to be rescued by lifeguards, briefly forgetting how to swim due to the shock of just how cold the water was. One of the lifeguards, known as the Lion, due to his tattoo of the King of the Jungle, had a little side scam going on. He would tell the guests to hold their jewellery in their hands due to the bumps in the ride making it unsafe to wear it around their necks. So once the guests hit the cold water, they would let go of their heirloom. The lion would go after his shift and swim around the pool to pick up the jewellery and take it back and stash it in his treasure trove. Disembodied teeth also ended up lodged in the 60-foot-high cannonball loop, an enclosed water slide resembling a twisted party straw 
complete with a 360 degrees loop. Two riders emerged with abrasions caused by scraping against the embedded teeth at breakneck speed. But at least they emerged, unlike the many guests who got stuck in the loop, leading eventually to the installation of an escape hatch. Still, either scenario was preferable to the fate of a test dummy that came out decapitated. You must be asking yourselves, how does a park with so many injuries and deaths survive for so long? Jean came up with the answer for that. Have a fake insurance company. Give it a posh name. And do not settle insurance claims ever. Once word got around the local legal community that Action Park would fight every single case and never settle, some lawyers backed off or were hesitant to take on new cases as they knew it would be in court for years. And the state legislator seemed to let Action Park do what they want. Despite many citations for safety violations between 1979 and 1986, including allowing miners to operate some rides and failing to report accidents, which was unique among New Jersey amusement parks, An investigation by the New Jersey Herald later found that the park was fined only once. It was also unique in that department in that all other amusement parks were fined for first offences, except Action Park. It asked if there was some sort of special relationship between them and the state. Some of the state's regulations failed to adequately address the situation. After the 1987 drowning, it was reported that the tidal wave pool was considered a pool by the state not a ride. Under state regulations at the time, that meant that the company merely had to keep the water clean and make sure that certified lifeguards were on duty. Jean Mulvihill unfortunately passed away on October 27th, 2012 and left behind his wife Gail, six children and 16 grandchildren. He was 78 years old and died at his house. The cause of death is not public information, He is remembered fondly by many people in New Jersey. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie commented, Jean Mulvihill's contribution to the economic development of Sussex County are unquestionable. His unique vision and entrepreneurial spirit will be greatly missed. I'm Alex Malone and this has been Fairground Fuckups. Season 1 of Fairground Fuckups will continue with new episodes released every Monday. This podcast was produced by Piccolo Podcasts. We make branded podcasts for local businesses or companies and produce our own original shows. If you want to know more about Piccolo Podcasts or are thinking of starting your own show, head to our website, piccolopodcast.com.au or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Piccolo Podcasts. The link to our website is in the episode notes. 